this is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. Our taping is made possible with the support of Raider, a hands-on IT service provider that integrates all of your needs for advanced technical support, effective communication options, and cybersecurity. Raider's motto is, you just want it to work. We understand. Please visit RaiderSolutions.com for more information. The generosity of Oxner Lafayette General also makes this podcast possible. As Acadiana's largest regional health system, including two teaching hospitals and the region's only level two trauma center with more than 5,500 employees, Oxner Lafayette General strives to put patients first and make caring their top priority. In continuous efforts to reach more patients, Oxner Lafayette General provides services throughout Acadiana and facilitates telemedicine throughout the state, making healthcare more accessible for everyone. For more information, visit oxnerlg.org. Support for this podcast comes from HomeBank, banking from anywhere with tech features for everyday needs. And when businesses and families need a banker, HomeBank is there as friends, neighbors, and partners in the community. Learn more at home24bank.com. HomeBank, member FDIC. We're joined by Rafael Garcia, owner of Cafe Habana City, Lafayette's first Cuban restaurant. In 2019, his restaurant was named one of the top 20 best Cuban restaurants in America by Top 7 Travel for its authentic Cuban cuisine. Rafael is a native of Havana, Cuba. In 1997, he was granted political refugee status. He relocated to Lafayette in March 1998 and has remained here ever since. And I want to say, Raphael, we're honored to have you on Discover Lafayette. Our mutual friend, Jimmy DiMaggio, uh, encouraged me to interview you. And when I heard your story, I just couldn't think of a better person to come on and talk about your journey and what led you to Lafayette. So thanks for being here today. Thank you. Thank yes. you, Jen. So I don't know where we should start, with your journey here or maybe your restaurant, if you want to jump in and tell us. You, you've been open now for quite a while. You're uh, on Bertrand mm-hmm. Drive, and I think everybody knows about well, we, the, we, uh, the Cuban We food. first started uh, our business in uh, Veratsku Road. Mm-hmm. It was uh, a little place and back in two, 2002. We run the place there for five years, and we become very popular mm-hmm. in that part of the city. And we started looking for a bigger uh, building, that's when we moved to uh, Bertrand Drive on 2007. Mm-hmm. Front and center, right across from the hospital. Yeah, right across the front of the hospital, by next HLCC. to the, the Goodwill. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So tell us about the restaurant, please. It's authentic Cuban cuisine, and it's a family endeavor, right? Yeah, it's, it's actually, uh, I'm not the only owner. It's a family business. Mm-hmm. We, we start with... Uh, Many member, many members of the family, uh, including including grandmas and and a uh, few family members that mm-hmm. we uh, came together uh, from Cuba in 2002. Like I say, uh, and it's uh, most of the recipes that we uh, make in the restaurants are uh, home made uh, Cuban cuisine. Mm-hmm. It's like home-style Cuban cuisine. Uh, plates like uh, 
ropa vieja. That means uh, ropa vieja means old clothes, and it's a very popular plate. It's shredded beef, old clothes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have lechon asado. We have Cuban tamales, things like that. Mm-hmm. That it it resembles the um, vibrant and culinary tradition of a homemade Cuban cuisine. Right before we started taping, you were telling me that there's almost nothing better than black beans. And black rice. beans and rice. Very simple, yet rich, you know, yeah. rich in you flavor. Yeah, some proteins, you have some black, uh, white rice, black beans, red beans. Um, see, it's, it's been tough to introduce Cuban cuisine in this uh, part of uh, Cajun. the Cajun. <laughs> not, not because uh, the Cajun thing, if not, uh, a lot of people seems to confuse it because we speak Spanish, we mm-hmm. do the same as a Mexican. I see. And it's not. I, when I talk to people, I say, dude, this is probably the closest cuisine that you have to a, a Kenyan area. You know, rice, beans, mm-hmm. pork, beef, different seasons, mm-hmm. you know. But our influence, y- y'all have a lot of Spanish influence here. Right, right. Yeah, it's tons of influence, Spanish influence here, mm-hmm. African influence. That's that's our base. The base of a Cuban cuisine is African, Spanish, Native, and Chinese. Chinese? Yes, we have a lot of Chinese. Oh. Chinese came uh, early in the century to work in the railroad uh, trains. You know, Cuba was the first country in America to have a train for the sugarcane industry. And after the the slave uh, abolition, mm-hmm. they start having Chinese people as workers. Wow! It was so cheap, they cheap labor. Yeah, they influenced though the food that we have influence, and we have mm-hmm. a huge influence of French on Havana. The Dutchess, they were uh, living in Haiti. They moved to Havana because it was a bigger capital, mm-hmm. and we have a really good influence of uh, Spanish, uh, French too. What spices distinguish the Cuban food from, let's say, how a Cajun Creole cook? Like, what, what's, well, one, what's different? One of the things that is, is a huge difference, Caribbean people, Puerto Rico has similar uh, food. Uh, Dominican Republic uh, has a, a similar food at mm-hmm. Cuba, too. We don't use hot peppers. You use chili here. Yeah. You know, very it's very uh, hot, spicy we use a lot of garlic, onions. We use uh, cumin, oregano, mm-hmm. bay leaf. Everything that is flavored. Yeah. And bell peppers. We use a lot of a lot of bell peppers and onions. Uh-huh. Everything that's flavorful, but not hot peppers. I think that's the main difference. You know? Right. Is pork one of the main choices? Pork, yeah. Uh, pork was brought by the Spanish mm-hmm. when they uh, colonized. But we eat a lot of beef. We were we were a, one of the biggest uh, exporters before the fifty nine. Mm-hmm. Everything that I'm talking about Cuba is before fifty nine. Yeah, right. Right now it's uh, a little bit crazy the the idea of we uh-huh. consuming some kind of meat over there. Right. It's sad. But uh, before fifty nine, Cuba was a big uh, big um, um, beef exporter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, including the sugarcane, all that stuff. We were. Big producers of beef. That's so sad. Thinking about 
how but everything being ended. an island, we yeah. have all kind of fish. You know, mm-hmm. we have uh, seafood, pork. Mm-hmm. Pork is more traditional because of the flavor. I think the yeah. Caribbean people probably like here. You know, we make cracklings and we oh, make yeah, uh, yeah we we make the the lechon, the cushion mm-hmm. on the floor. And um, I think that's probably the main difference. Mm-hmm. So if people want to come experience, you know, authentic Cuban and delicious Cuban food, when, when is your restaurant open? Like when can we go to Cafe we, Havana City? We are open um, weekly from Monday to Saturday. We've never been open on Sundays. We mm-hmm. always close on Sundays. But mm-hmm. we open on sun- Monday through Saturday, same hours. We start lunch at 11, and we close at 9, mm-hmm. 9 p.m. or 9.30. It depends. Right. Some weekends started on, on Thursdays. So, you know, uh, we just open till the, the, the last customers mm-hmm. comes. It's kind of busy get that last mojito in huh yeah <laughs> mojito sorry i had read um that y'all were not only the first uh, cuban restaurant but also had the first mojito bar so yeah, we have the first <laughs> mojito bars in in louisiana we were mm-hmm. kind of popular when we started mm-hmm. and we've been selling a lot of mojitos since yeah i bet it's popular well i want to encourage people to check out um cafe habana city and i just wanted to get that in because you've got really two stories the restaurant that you and your family own and and then your journey to get here to Lafayette, Louisiana. So if you don't mind before we start, I'd like to take a quick break and just pause and we always listen to a past interview. And I just wanted to get in this short clip from Gus Resende. Gus is from Brazil and he moved here uh, back in 1999. He moved to the States and tennis brought him here to Lafayette in 2022. You can find Gus's interview, along with over 260 others, at discoverlafayette.net. Let's take a listen. In 2018, uh, you became a U.S. citizen. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Was that hard? Is it a hard hard. uh, process? Yeah, there's no uh, really a structural way to say, you know, it depends on where you're from because Mm -hmm. different countries have different treaties and uh, and there are different times of, you know, depending on what president it's currently running or or country. I say our country now. Yeah, Uh, it is. uh, it was hard because, you know, uh, there was a time when I came with, uh, you know, I came in with a student visa in 1999. And after so many years, your student visa runs out and then they will give you an OPT visa, which is a visa for you to find a job within a certain amount of time within your industry or within your major. So you and then that runs out. out. Yeah. And then you get a work visa, which mm-hmm. the company has to employ, uh, sponsor you, which I was so lucky City Club sponsored me for so many years. But... You know, what I tell a lot of friends of mine is that we get so caught up talking about immigration reform, thinking that it's all about the focus and what's happening in our border, mm-hmm. that we forget the immigration report is about the visa, how to get a visa, how to stay with a proper visa in this mm-hmm. country. The biggest issue we have is people getting out of status, not people being actually illegally. Welcome back to Discover Lafayette. We're here with Rafael Garcia, owner of Cafe Havana City, and also a native of Havana, 
Cuba. So if you, if you don't mind telling your story, I just wanted you to be able to tell this uninterrupted. You um, were able to get political asylum from Cuba, but you were a young man. If you can talk about what was going on in Cuba and what led you to want to, to leave your country. Um, what what's going on in Cuba and what was going on in Cuba when I was living there is the same. We we are controlled by a a tyranny, a dictator government that uh, took um, Cuba by uh, the force with weapons on 1959. Uh, Fidel and his brother Raúl Castro, and I, I was. I was part of that uh, generation that was born in the middle of the communists because it was already declared communist. Mm -hmm. I was born in 1971. But I was lucky to have a grandfather that uh, had, uh, he had to lose his business in the hands of uh, Castro's forces. And it was it was a, a really nice business he had, and it was confiscated just like he confiscated a hundred percent of every single things that people was doing in Cuba to produce. Um, I was very young when I started uh, thinking different, and I joined the different groups of uh, we call a dissident or opposition in mm -hmm. Cuba and um, some of these groups we get chances to do things against the government or against the the political situation that we have there but once you discover you know they have a really powerful mechanism and a big army I would call it army for uh, uh, controlling mm -hmm. anything inside the country that thinks different. It's a huge uh, army. I mean, I was not a big uh, dissident. I enjoyed a lot of things. And I have like almost two officers that... These people knew where I was, what I was doing daily. You know, they they they, mm -hmm. they dedicate their life to control and repress anything that it's against them. You were jailed many times. Yeah, I was jailed many times. Um, I was um, forced to stay in homes days that we programming to do activities they locate uh, officers or people in, uh, at the door of your house and if they let you walk around the neighborhood they'll be they'll be walking with you controlling you all the time if you leave they take you to jail if you do things like i visit the, i visit the house of um, the first secretary for political uh uh, political things in Cuba, the United States representing. Oh, and I visited the house twice, mm -hmm. and after I left the house, I was in jail for one or two weeks. Really? Yes. They wanted to know. They they they, they don't want to 
leave you alone if you're doing or planning something. Did your family pay the price too since you were a dissident? Did your family members, if they weren't involved in all that, were they watched also? See, that's 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 a part of this type of a uh, system. Mm -hmm. This system divides family, friends, mm -hmm. neighbors, because they will pay the price. If right. someone is part of the government, if you have a job, any kind of job, if you have an important job inside the government of Cuba, if you go to college, you have you you're not supposed to have relationship with people that thinks different. What I'm telling you, think different is someone that is against communism, mm -hmm. totalitarianism, or socialism. You know, the word socialism is more dangerous that uh, what they they representing over here. Some yeah. people are presenting socialism here as a good thing. It's share, not. Share everything you have. Socialism, yeah. socialism is good and it's pretty when you talk about it in a democrat system like we have here. Mm -hmm. When you have freedom. People like you will give them the freedom to speak about socialism. But once socialist people take over a country, it's difficult for other people to think different to express itself. Because you'll be a liar or you will be a, how you say, it, uh, they're using some kind of words now. Uh, oh, about truth? Yeah. Like fake. Yeah. Fake news. Yeah. Uh -huh. Fake news. Yeah. They check you, fake uh -huh. news and things like that. Or, uh, you know, but it's it's different in in those countries. And, and I did, I did, to go back to my story, I did a few things that uh, pissed them off, you know. <laughs> it's... <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. So what they do is, they if you have a family, mm -hmm. they will press you with the family, and they will press you with the, you know, and then sometimes you have to take the decision to, to go. Because most of the neighbors and family that have important jobs or jobs there, they will give you the back and they will not get close to you. Right, because so dangerous. They, yeah. they will be losing mm -hmm. the, uh, their status yeah. or the status and things like that. It works like that. I read that you were given, you were processed uh, to serve a maximum sentence of 35 years. Yeah, the now, last you time you were only 26 though when you got out, right? So you I was did 26. Last time I got uh, picked up at my house by the political police officers, I was brought to this big uh, uh, officers they have for people that they detain, and uh, I was processed there, and it was presented with a. Um, How do you say it? Criminal story. You know, they make you criminal story. You don't have trials and stuff there, though, right? Did they? Go I didn't through? have any trial. I mean, they don't go through what we go through here. You just you're charged with insurrection. I'm sure. No, or over something. there, they over there. Trials. If if they want it, just like they are, they have a right now over a thousand people in jail from the last uh, protesters of last year. 
uh, where all these trials are being uh, crazy. You know, they uh, they they uh, they don't even give you the to the family the dates of the trial because they don't want the family to be there. Oh gosh! So and you're in jail and nobody knows what's going on. Sometimes you you sometimes uh, I was in, in jail and my mom used to go and try to find it where it was because they always pick you up and they mm -hmm. put you in different. They don't want your family to know where did, you are. Did she try to get you to be quiet, your mom? No. Actually, she understood? My mom, actually, my mom is very spoke out, <laughs> you know, and some of my closer family was with me. Yeah. I got you. How did you end up qualifying to, to get asylum? How did you... How do you get to leave Cuba if you've been arrested before? And what did you go through? What steps were needed to get well, out of there? I don't know too much about the uh, asylum program. I know uh, do you, that you have to get uh, interviews. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the interviews is with at the, uh, immigration. At the U.S.? Uh -huh. the U.S. Uh, uh -huh. when, when I did this, the U.S. Uh, office... Inter's office, it mm -hmm. was called like that. It was not an embassy. Okay. It was the U.S. Inter's office. It says back in 90, 1996. I think I applied on 1995 or 1996. 1996, it takes, it takes a year to, mm -hmm. to do the process. You, you present your case, you send uh, whatever you have to back up, and then you have uh, a first... Uh, interview with I think it's immigration and then you have a second interview with uh, homeland or it's uh -huh. different way but it's homeland and and immigration uh, you present the case and then that's I think the second uh, interview you have to prove it you know bring things and uh, do you have to fear for your life like how do you qualify to to get yeah. out well uh, actually I was more feared by for my family life and that's actually why I, I took the the decision to go. Mm -hmm. My daughter, the one that I brought in 1998, it was two years. So 1996, she was born. Mm. And I was, if I was going to go for 35 years, yeah. and uh, I'll tell you what, after I left in 2000 or 2001, was the... Uh, what they call uh, the black uh, black spring in Cuba, where uh, the government took seventy one or seventy nine of uh, the political dissidents like on you, Cuba. Such as you. Uh -huh. The same people that were with me that mm -hmm. day, they picked up everybody and put it, and they say they send you the uh, resume with the thirty five years. All the you know my my crime story. They put seventy one or seventy nine prisoners from five to thirty five years, and I was supposed to be one of them. Oh gosh, you never hurt anybody though. Were you just protesting, or was there violence? Like the people that got arrested? No, like, if you have violence in Cuba, they execute you. So that wasn't the issue with you. <laughs> they God. execute you in three wow. days. Oh, you know, my gosh. you know they did it. They did it. Like if you maybe Castro, hit, hit an officer or something? If you hit an officer, you'll be executed. How do they kill you? Or life. Like, do they... They shoot you. They shoot you? Yeah, square. Yeah. Actually, um, in 1994, 
I talked to, I was the voice of uh, my organization when I started. And I used to uh, talk on the phone with uh, Radio Marti. Radio Marti is a radio they have on mm-hmm. South Florida. You were my daughter's age. You were 23? 24. 24. I was 24. Yeah. So I, wow. was the, they, uh, I was part of a, a workers' union against the, the government. And uh, they prepared all these kind of things that happened, uh, information. And I was the voice. So they record my voice on Radio Marti, and they throw it to Cuba in a uh, different radio band. And Radio Marti is illegal in Cuba. It's the only oh. things oh, that speaks different. Mm-hmm. It's a radio that yeah, it's a radio. It's a radio financed by the U.S. government, trying to give a, a different voice mm-hmm. in Cuba. And I was part of this, so I have to read a. Uh, you know when they when you call people out for protest mm-hmm. protesting has a name. Uh, just come convocation. I was trying to convoke people to go out, uh-huh. rise up. You're trying yeah. to get them to get, get, trying up, get to, out of their chairs. But I was the voice, mm-hmm. and I read all this. You didn't use a fake name. No, you used I didn't use. I, I, I used uh-huh. Raphael. Uh-huh. The next day, the officer that always picked me up in my house did something really different. You know. They sit me back on the carb and the back side, and he sit next to me. And he was like, Raphael, you crazy? You're just sitting on the street with him, and he's trying to knock sense into your head, huh? No, he was like, you know you're dead. Right, he's trying to get you. He's bringing me to the jail because oh. I did this, you know. Mm-hmm. We have all this tape. We have, you see, you just try to tell the people to go mm-hmm. to the street. So if someone goes to the street, and we have to repress these people. You're going to be processed and you're going to be executed. So I have, I was in jail for, that was probably the longest time I was in jail, for two weeks. How did you get out though? They let you go. They don't have, they don't have anything against you because you don't commit any crime. For them, if they have to process you, they invent something. Uh-huh. But I was covered by... Um, at that time, we had uh, most of the people that was on the political opposition. We had a good thing come comes out. It was the independence journals that start raising in Cuba, and they have connections with U.S. and we have a bunch of press things. My name is in in the um, Congress library. Wow! Because some of my friends are independents, and every time I was going in jail, they mm-hmm. they would call and they do, you know, they uh, they would call me out. Uh, they would send uh, this news to to Europe, places where the 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 places where the communist dictators have influence, but they also need things, and the press make pressure on them, and mm-hmm. they, they let you go. That's how we are being... Some of, some of us are being lucky. 
You've been very lucky. Some they still in jail, mm-hmm. even with the, uh, with even even, you know, they also do business with the Pope. They also do business with the with, Pope. Yes, yes. Uh, everybody's Catholic. <laughs> I don't know if everybody's Catholic, but this Pope that we have now is kind of socialist. Oh, okay. Yes, he actually he say, he likes the socialism. He spoke out, and he's a very good uh, friends of the Castros. He's actually the one that did the, that put Raul Castro to talk to uh, Barack Obama. Okay, he was the the intermediary. intermediary yeah, intermediary. And uh, he not 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 this one only start with uh, uh, the first pope that went to Cuba. You know, every time uh, I'll say, every time a uh, international leader wants to make some points, he go to Cuba. He will go to Cuba, uh, negotiate some uh, political prisoners with the Castros, take him out of the prison, put him in Europe, in the United States, and he makes some points. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, but the life is like that. Some politicians are. Yeah, and we're always being. Held by the by the Castro's family as a, some coins. So your family, I know you were fearful once your daughter was born. You're saying like you didn't want to be spending your life in jail, and I'm sure you were worried well, the, for her the, safety and your yeah. your family's safety. You said some of them were outspoken. Was your family kind of out there though? Was the average citizen just trying to get along? Like, or were do you think most people had the same undercurrent of we want better than this? Well, you know? the, 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 the situation back in that time, see, before 1989 or in the 90s, uh, political was the same thing. Uh, we have a lot of people that... Uh, things different and go to jail, things like that. But Cuba economic, 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 Mm -hmm. the Cuban uh, could go out and eat. And we used to have not the best, but um, it was, you were were not hungry. Mm -hmm. Not because we used to produce, we every now everybody knows that it was because we were supported by the communist bloc mm-hmm. in oh I see and back in, in Russia. So when Gorbachev did what he did, and they stopped up. this, mm-hmm. and then people the felt change. It. Yeah, it was radical. The change that we uh, had like. We used to things different mm-hmm. because, I mean, you were, it, it was that time that you were going to college in Cuba and you probably will be able to produce and work and make a, a decent life in your life, being an engineer, being anything in Cuba, inside of Cuba. But it was a fake life. Right. Once we were caught by the communist bloc, Everything was different. 
we went from we went from eat pork or have eggs in the breakfast. I had many many days that my breakfast with sugar and bread and water with sugar because it was only one bread mm. a day per person. And you were a teenager. I was 24, yeah. and uh, but I mean when no, all this started. when they started, yeah, yes, started. Oh, yes. So I, you're probably like, I, actually, I don't want to do this. I, actually, I was 17, mm -hmm. and um, the army is mandatory for males. Oh gosh, they picked you up at 17, right when you finished 12th grade. They don't leave lead you the the that summer off. You you, got, you, you, you picked, picked yeah mm -hmm. you picked it around June or July, and um, if you are safe and 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 healthy, you go to you go to the army. At seventeen years old, we just find out that it's illegal. It's illegal to have mandatory army services for peop for for young people uh -huh. before eighteen. But I guess in a and communist you go country, for three years. You know. They lying. Yeah. We just find out they were on the United Nations. Someone was speaking to the United Nations uh, people, lying right there. We we do not picked up. It's it's. Uh, they say that it was uh, not mandatory. Oh, but it is mandatory. Mm -hmm. You go to jail if you don't go. And if they take you out and you escape the the, the bases where they leave you or whatever you're doing, mm -hmm. you are uh, you go to jail. And uh, actually, I was I was uh, lucky twice because when they picked me up at seventeen, this is right when I was um, when when it was uh, the Angola war. And Castro was in the middle of the War with United States. And, uh, you know, Castro was backing up the socialist portion of, uh, of Angola. Mm -hmm. And United States was on the table backing up the other side. Mm -hmm. And this war ended up in the table with all these people one week before... I was deported to go to Angola. Oh boy! Many many Cubans lost their life in Angola. Yeah. You know, I don't and really it was not know much about that. It wasn't. It was not our war, and I was a week. I was just fresh on the on the army when uh, when United States uh, did the invasion in Panama mm -hmm. and took the this uh, general out of Panama. Cuba was ready to go Panama too. And that was one week. The good thing was they finished early. They did it in, in a few days uh -huh. and it was over. You were lucky. You served three lucky. years though? Did you, yeah, I went you three did? years in a tank platoon. Oh God. Did you get to eat better than no. other people? You know, did you have more than the sugar and the you, bread? You don't get to eat better. You get to eat. Mm -hmm. That's it. But not better. And I got it right on the middle of that change it, you know, the the communist uh countries got uh off uh, so I always tell people that I was I was seeing, you know, you have a cafeteria in, in across the street from the 
uh, base the way we were. And I saw that cafeteria from selling sandwiches to go to and get you some uh, uh, water inf in, uh, infusions with uh, herbs and things like that. Mm -hmm. That was all they had. Yeah. Water infusions. Because not even bread. When you got out of the military, is that when you became more, you know... When I got yeah, to out of, actually, actually, when I uh, when I got out of the military, I, I went to college and I I start oh, okay. I, I start uh, industrial design mm -hmm. uh, for only one year. When I start speaking out, that's when. Did you get the heave ho? Did they kick you yeah, out? Yeah, they kick you out of the college. Oh. Yeah, you have to be communist to be part of uh, anything mm -hmm. that they give you some kind of uh, life in Cuba. So. How did you make a living? If I'm not asking too many questions, because I, you know, I know you made it here, but if you were really being a thorn in their side, how, how do you make money? To but most support most yourself? of the people, most of the people in Cuba doesn't do any living working. They don't. Cuba is a huge black market, and the government knows that. You make the living in the black oh, market, like selling what kind of stuff? Whatever, anything, and most of the things come from the government. So they know what's going on and they just yeah. let it be. Most of the things comes from the government. Uh -huh. They let it, they let it go, you know. The big government is worried about the big dollar things. But the local government is worried about the money mm -hmm. that the people right. have around. So if they know that you're making too much money, they go to your house, they confiscate you, they confiscate the money that you have. And you're going to start all over again. Uh -huh. So what the people does, they just be humble. You know, they, they make the, yeah. uh, the living. They save the money. Most of the people do this. Mm -hmm. Now, if you buy a car or uh, if you house have a second level and everybody see that you paint in the house, this is what socialist does. They have people next to you that wants your house. Or wants your car, mm -hmm. and they have the power to have someone else to tell it. Look, he's doing something different. Uh -huh. Go check him out. Go Take check it. him out. You know, I picture Cuba having these cars from the late 1950s. Were yep. people able to buy cars? Could could people get newer cars? Is that just a perception that we have that it's stuck in time? It's a perception that you have, and it it's something that it hurts a little bit when. People ask me, uh -huh. can I go to Cuba? I want to go see the cars and things like that. I want to see uh, Cuba before. See, everybody was uh, kind of, I'll say, dreaming with a different Cuba after Obama did what he did. Uh -huh. And I have many customers that came out. I, I need to go to Cuba before they Americanized the, the, the country. I want to see it. And it's sad. First, because I see that people is not really into what it brings us to survive like that. Because you having having a car from the 50 running on the street. I don't know how you do it's it. It's a surviving yeah. thing. I mean, there's no parts. Yeah. No, even, even if you have parts... Why you wanna? You don't have all cars here. Only the people that 
want to show it and they have the money to have it because mm-hmm. they're expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, over there is a need and they, they have to keep it doing miracles, you know. And, but it's sad when you have someone that say, no, I want to, I want to see the buildings and things like that. And the real, the real Havana is, is not where you go do tourism. When you go do tourists, especially because you are controlled. And most of the people that goes to Cuba is people in they're a little little inclined to socialist ideas. Most of them. They wanted to go see and they have programs that they created here and they bring people together, schools, uh, young people to show what socialism does. And this is a controlling tourism. They bring you to the parties, but they, the government wants them uh, wants yeah. you to see. Mm-hmm. They bring you to the beautiful hotels. It's not a big part. Just I tell everybody, just walk two blocks away where they say no, don't go. You you walk two blocks away from that, and you're gonna see a lot of sad things. Right now is the the internet is full of a. a Pictures that looks from a, a, a city that's been in a war, and it's just the years that they not maintaining, right. years that they not produce, or they don't. This this kind of mafia government keeps everything on their pocket, and the the buildings. The water drains, the gas, all those systems, all that uh, infrastructure mm-hmm. is gone. They never take care of that. So um, visiting, visiting Havana, it's if you wanted to go, not only to see the, the old cars, I recommend the people, just go visit... Everybody that it's two blocks away where the government say, look, after this, you can't go because they control you and they know. Everybody that I, I hear a lot of people, no, it's, it's, it's fun. Don't, don't, don't think about that. Think about the, the people that is two blocks away. Right, right. And I've never been that brave. I, people had asked before if we wanted to go. I just... I, I never felt sure that I would get out. Like, you know, I just never really knew, but I knew that it wasn't good for the average citizen. Well, for know? for um, most of the people, you have to be really hooked to the, to the government mm-hmm. and uh, be part of to have a little bit. Not even the ones that are really hooked to the, they safe. It's a mafia. It's a family that has been controlling the country. Yeah. Most of uh, most of the commandantes that came down from the mountains with Castro are dead, mysteriously dead. Or in jail, they were they were labeled traitors. Mm-hmm. Once Castro say, yes, we are Communists, yes, we are socialists. Because Castro before, 
the revolution, he was saying that he was not communist. He was not socialist. It's a big, famous uh, interview he gave to a, a, a famous uh, journalist, American journalist, where he was like, no, we are not. So some of these commandantes that followed them, follow him because he was not socialist. Mm -hmm. But they are, after the, he declared yeah. socialism and communism. They were shut down. Yeah. Most of them. So you are, that means that you, you are not safe when you apply when you think it's different. Right. I, yeah, I, never, I, I never wanted to even find out what would happen to me if I did something wrong over there. When you applied to come here to the States, how many of your family members came with you when you were able to, to leave Cuba? Okay. Um, once you have a visa... Once you have a visa, this is part of the program. If you accept, they accept you. You, you uh, uh, visa to become uh, a refugee. So mm -hmm. I'm I'm already a refugee. They will give you parole to anyone that it's been living with you in that house. And in that you were a support, direct support of them. It doesn't matter if it was cousin, because I, I brought a cousin with me. A cousin? Yeah. It was my sister, my mom, um, uh, my wife in that time, my daughter, mm -hmm. and my mom. So it was like five more people. Uh -huh. Five more people got this up with me, parole. Yeah. And you knew you wanted to come to the U.S. I wanted to come to U.S. And then, and you uh, went once they accept you in your second interview. Automatic, you going back to immigration office. That the same day they give you a blue book. That it's I, I still have that blue book. It's a blue book that tells you the story of. Integrating U.S. Oh, you know, yeah. What do, what do you what do you have to do once you come? What's the most important things? And if you read that book, you have a life just like that did. Mm -hmm. You know, they tell you uh, when you start working, how many years you're gonna have to work on the first year, uh, uh, first job, how to do. What's the most important things? You know, the credit, you uh, labor credit, you credit on your regular life things like mm -hmm. that take care of things on, on your regular life and I had still have that book so once they you going back to immigration they ask you that where you want to go and they have different propositions for you in that time uh, with the with with the cities that are available for families, uh -huh. or if you have family in the United States, they uh, they help, and this family wanted to help you. Mm -hmm. They send, uh, you know, it's a program, and the the program offers, and we we came to Lafayette because it was uh, 
a city that I choose because I want to be away from uh, the that. Miami away area. Away from Miami. Did you speak English? No. I wanted, that's what the reason uh -huh. I wanted. Uh, Miami was a big city, very difficult to start it. And I have a lot of family, but I was choosing to get away from to learn, just to learn the English mm -hmm. and to see if it was a different way to start mm -hmm. a different life. Did a family have to take you in? Like, how did you, how does it no. work? Like, who pays for you to get here? Do okay, you, it's a program. It's a government program. like uh, Under the U.S. Know, under government. the U.S. Oh. government. And it's, uh, you know, for asylum, just like they do with the people that come from awards and things like that, just mm -hmm. like that. And in this case, they have the Diocese of Lafayette have an immigration okay. office. They control this. Oh. Yeah. Okay. The I know about this, but I didn't realize how much they did. So, mm -hmm. so the they Diocese were, of Lafayette is... is being since I know 1998, but mm -hmm. I know there was before because they have Cubans they, that uh, they were in Guantanamo Bay, the one that we you know the Exodus. Mm -hmm. So uh, they have a program. So they help you, yeah, get settled. I too. came in 1998, March 31st, 11:45. I talked to like four airplanes to come to oh. come to Lafayette. Wow. We flew from uh, Havana to Mexico. It was not direct flights in that time. Mexico, Miami, that was the international uh, airport that I mm -hmm. went through when I came to the United States. And because Miami doesn't have a f direct flight to Lafayette, we went to Dallas, Dallas wow. over here. And I never went in an airplane in my life. Yeah, that was first day. It was. That's exciting, though. Were you scared? One, two, three, four, <laughs> four airplanes. Yeah, at least. I was not scared. I was, I was scared when I left Cuba because I, uh, in that day when I got to the airport, I had the two officers that I was. Oh, yeah. Uh, they were assigned to me. And your mom is they probably there. like, don't say anything. Don't, no, don't my get mom, arrested. My mom <laughs> don't know why they were there. But once you... Once you once you pass the the costumes, mm -hmm. you can't go back, you know. And they were after that. It was not my family. There was nobody. It was just my mom. It was my uh, the the lady, uh, my wife there. And um, these people come to me and say, "Rafael, we are we we need to talk." And they take me away from my family. They put me in the office. You know. Oh. They wanted to search uh, all my things that I was taking away from Cuba mm -hmm. uh, to see if they found something that I wanted to take away or something like that, you know, and to tell me that uh, don't come back. So uh, that's the last two things that I hear from them. You yeah. know, I was like, if you let me go, I'm not coming back. Right. And you, you know. weren't smuggling cigars or anything? No, no, they were not looking for that. They were looking for probably letters or something different, uh -huh. information wow. or something yeah. like that. I never worked for the government. I didn't, I never worked for them. Mm -hmm. So you, you made it to Lafayette? I made it to Lafayette, yeah. And yeah. was it what you expected? Uh, actually, it was it was better because I had um, you know what uh, Hollywood it always bring 
You see, when, when, when I came early to you, you say you're doing this podcast because you want to the happy things, mm -hmm. the good things. Mm -hmm. Sometimes Hollywood, to make a popular, try the bad things. Yeah. You know, and I was going through Miami and my family was like, don't go over there. And, you know, Louisiana, Mississippi, those, it's racist people there. And I was like, I need to try, you know. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I have six months of the program. The program is six months. What kind of people? Race? Race people. Racist people. Racist. Oh, yeah. Racist people. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know. It's a broad And I was brush. like, well, yeah. how, 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 how do, do you know? find? How do you know that? Right, right. It's news mm -hmm. or movies. movies. Yeah. And things like that. Mm -hmm. And... I, when I came, I mean, it was totally different. And I tell my friend, I mean, if you if you walk around the street, if you walk a, uh, a hospital in Lafayette, you will see all kind of races, dress as a doctor, dress as a nurse. If you walk a, a bank, you will see any kind of race. I mean, for us to come over here and with not the language. I didn't have the language. Mm -hmm. I may look like someone else, but I was not able to communicate. And I was able to work, have fun, make friends, mm -hmm. all kind of colors. And it's not the life that Hollywood brings out, you know, it's sad. Same, same happened with Cuba, you know? Media brings you out a lot of Right, happy things, and it's not happening. People is hungry. They killing people over there, starving. They uh, they never, they never do things that a normal human thing does every day. But the media sells you a different story, and we don't know different because we're not there. Just like you, you know, you hadn't been here before. So. Some people replicate this way mm -hmm. but they never they didn't even know what they what is happening don't what, know why but right. they do it what type of work did you get because i know just within a few short years you opened up your the family's restaurant but how did you make it at first did the diocese help you yeah find, well uh, uh the diocese the diocese always have uh people that work with you and i always been grateful and I, I thanks a lot that you had this kind of people there because um the first week was working on the um social security number because uh -huh. when once you comes as a political refugee you are already uh you becomes a permanent resident so you are a permanent resident for uh, 10 years, they okay. give you a permanent resident. They give you... Um, you still need the, a social security number, though. Yeah, for, they give you, you a, a regular, yeah. Yeah, a regular uh, social security number. Mm -hmm. Because once you are a permanent resident, you don't need uh, uh, that uh, work permit. You can work. Mm -hmm. A permanent resident, the only things different to a citizen is you are not allowed to vote because you're not a citizen. A permanent resident is allowed to have a normal life. Mm 
You can buy property. You can buy. You be owner. You can have business. Kids go to school. Yeah, kids go to school. Yeah, and the kids, your kids are automatic permanent resident to have all the rights that you have. The only right that you don't have, and you have it in the book, and you have to read it. You're not allowed to vote. Mm -hmm. You're you're not allowed to any kind of decision take in the city, the state, or the the country. And I'm I'm assuming you wanted to vote after how you grew up in Cuba. You know, yes, the freedom yes. to but, vote. But you have to respect the laws first. Of course, yeah. I would I would more incline I'm more inclined on that respecting the law. If you're not a citizen, to not vote. Mm -hmm. I do not recommend it. And I will not be happy if I find out that you vote and you don't have a right to vote. Mm -hmm. It's it's not good. I'm a citizen now. That's why I. After the time that I I was able to apply for citizenship, and I did my uh, process and I become a citizenship. Mm -hmm. I recommend that to you. If you want to vote, I recommend right. you to. If, and you are a permanent resident. So your family, have they become citizens? They become your citizens. Mom, most your, of them. Your daughter. Yeah, most of them. Gosh, it's it's good. It's good because you had rights and that you can use. Mm -hmm. And if you are going to be forever in this country, you, the best thing is to become a citizen. And you opened up your restaurant in 2002, so you really yeah. hadn't been here very so, long. So, that what, so much to accomplish. What happened is they, uh, they, uh, they help you. You're going back to the, the, the Dodge Lafayette. Mm -hmm. They bring you to the social security things. And uh, you have, I remember they give us six months of food stamps. That that help you a little bit. Mm -hmm. Six months of food stamps, and they paid the rent of uh, my apartment. I was brought to an apartment on University Place apartment. Back time, it was full of Cubans that, were, that came from uh, uh, the Guantanamo Bay exodus. And I, I met all of them. So the diocese, the program, not the diocese, the program pays the first month, and that's it. The first month, you have a month to start working. Oh, man. And I'll tell you what. You got to get Cuban, with it. Most of the Cubans, they're success right now. Uh -huh. I mean, I've been, I've been in all kind of radios and TV because I'm a face that everybody goes to my business, but most of the Cubans that they were in that Year nineteen ninety eight. They've made it. They were like hundreds. Uh -huh. They they own houses. They most of them work for somebody. Most of them have business. They they drive trucks. They have their own trucks. Mm -hmm. uh, they own cosmetics places, or most of them are working and making. You know, they went to college. Mm -hmm. They become someone. It's, and most of them, and it's important, they own houses. Yeah. You know, and they didn't even speak the, the, the language. And I'm telling you, not 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 my callers. We that group was like black people. They were Cubans. And they were black and they were Cubans. They didn't even speak the English. But all they want to do it was work. All they wanted to do was take the time that we lost in a place that you continuously lost 
the time, because it's a time lost over there in Havana. Yeah. It's lost in the time. So there is an American dream. There, there is an American dream. Most of them, they have it. Mm-hmm. And you found yourself in the restaurant industry, and it seems that you and your family found just the right fit yeah. for your own American dream. Well, after, after a, uh, four years working in a place kind of close to here, there was a place of injection molding plastics machines. Hmm. It was a little bit controversial, I find out, because it was not supposed to be in that area, mm-hmm. but it was. So I worked for them Was that over by years. UL? Yes. Yeah, I know where that was, yeah, <laughs> in the backyard. <laughs> well, yeah. You got a bunch of You didn't choose to do that. I mean, you needed they, work. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I yes, I, I, I'm grateful. I'm grateful with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they give me the job. Yeah, and I start with them five fifty, five fifty an hour. Five fifty yeah. an hour. That was the was minimum. That the going rate. Oh, that that's was the back minimum. in ninety eight, yeah, ninety nine. Yeah. That was minimum. Uh-huh. And I don't blame it. Uh, I went all the way to nine dollars. Mm-hmm. I get to know uh, the plastic, uh, the engineers. Uh, the engineering process and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, in one week, I was the chief of my uh, uh, time mm-hmm. or my shift. Yeah, I was the supervisor. The supervisor, uh-huh. and I get to supervise the whole plant. That plant that was there. I get to supervise it for two years by myself. Gosh, but the restaurant. Well. Was- uh, it's not the same. You see, the, the, the American dream has a problem. You can make it working for someone or you can make it by yourself. If you work for someone, you have to deal with the tempers and the frustrations or the happiness of the people. Mm-hmm. If you do for yourself, you have to work with the temper, the happiness of the people that work for you. Right. And you better choose, you know, either one. Right. Now, uh, Lafayette was kind of, you know, not too many things when you come from other countries and you don't have a uh, uh, financial support. So, and less when you make $5 an hour, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's not that easy. But we always thought that Lafayette, it was a great uh, restaurant city, and they didn't have any Caribbean choices, Mm -hmm. because Caribbean choices are not Mexican. We don't, we do not eat tortillas. Right. And we not eat enchiladas. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) it was... Always that idea, and we it was a big family. We we were lucky too. We thought that we can have it, and we look forward. We we start looking, I guess, in the right place because this this Kenyan Potato Kitchen that closed in Vera School Row. It mm-hmm. was a very small place, and when I I went to talk to Mister Privat. This guy was very popular in Lafayette in that area because he built a lot of houses and he built a mm-hmm. lot of places in there. 
he when when I went to the office after I take a look at the place, uh, he was like, "You sure you want to do that?" Because my language it was kind of not not the same English that I'm taking talking right now. It was 20 years ago. My mm-hmm. English was worse. Uh, it's not too good right now, but it was worse. So I'm like, "Yeah, let me see the menu." You being uh, in the restaurant business before? I say no, but <laughs> I know people is people are gonna like what we cook. My boss on the place there where we I was working, he was like, "No, you have to add a little bit of Kenyan food to that." I say, "No, I don't know how to do cook yeah. Kenyan food." Right. But nobody knows what Cuban food is like. Cuban food is very popular in big cities. Mm-hmm. It's very rich. We have many countries influence and the flavors I mean we make homemade and we have almost 30 choices and why dilute what you have to add something that you don't even know how to do you know like why would you add the first day Uh the first launch that we opened up they went to that launch and they was like oh my god it was full the first Mm day I was I was happy. I was one of the best happiest days in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, they was eating there and they were looking around and they say Rafael is not coming back because they want me. Yeah, they want me. I used to work a lot. Mm-hmm. I really like what they did. What I did over there. Yeah. Well, I, I love your story and I love the spirit that you you bring. Like I, I have to tell you, I don't think I've ever been as brave as someone like you that would stand up. To their government, you know, and put yourself at risk. I, I wanted to hear your story. Just many to let Cubans people hear. do that. Many Cubans have done that. Yeah. Uh, many Cubans are doing that right now because the things are worse. And I'm trying to always, every time I have a chance, mm-hmm. you know, please visit a hashtag SOS Cuba. Okay. Hashtag SOS Cuba. Yes. I know you've been standing up um, locally. We need to, to, we to raise need, awareness yeah. of, of what's going on in Cuba. We need to we need to do, go to the truth because even in Lafayette, you have communist influence. Yeah. Oh, I find out the the hardest way. My daughter came to my house once. She went to UL. And she was talking about this. She was talking about Che Guevara. You know what Che Guevara is? It's a very popular revolutionary people. He's a criminal for us, for the Cubans that stand against. He's, he's a revolutionary figure. It's just a propaganda. It's a communist propaganda. Because he was a criminal. And she actually was talking about and news, you know, one of the teachers that she had on UL, it had a class with a Cuban newspaper. Hmm. And she was referring to this Cuban news- newspaper as real news. Cuban newspaper, we have two in Cuba. And they are, they're part of the government. They belong to the government. So they are officialists. Radios are belong to the government. 99%, no, communication, 100%. It's 
belong to the government and only talks about the government, the good things. So when my daughter came to me, I was like, is this a teacher in UL? Yes. I'm like, oh, my God. So it's difficult to know that, that this kind of influence or this kind of ideas, they, the, the people that like to put it away to young people, they they able to do it in, in a country like that mm-hmm. with Democrats. Because it's sanitized. Like, you know, what they're seeing isn't reality. Wow. It... I'm glad she came to you and didn't just think, well, well, I tried, I, I help her, uh-huh. you know, but if I, if I didn't do it, but think about how many students go through that teacher. Exactly. Yeah. And then you have people that come to my place and bring young people and try to tell me, look, I want you to tell him what is real things. Because these young people are thinking different now, and they don't know why. Yeah, you have influence. You have people that work here, uh, and I know someone that uh, it's always in politic, but he always is on the side of the Cuban government, trying to, you know, he he goes around the city saying that you know we need to end it up the embargo. Uh, he called it blockade. It's not a blockade. It's embargo. And believe it or not, I'm in favor of the embargo because the embargo is not against the Cuban people. Cuban people had no decisions in the, in the international mm-hmm. uh, things in Cuba. It's the family Castro. It's the Castro's family who is... They're in the embargo because mm-hmm. everything they do, all kinds of business they do, they take the money and they don't give it to the people. Nothing of what Barack Obama did to uh, give them the opportunity to real open up to the world, mm-hmm. it worked because it's a mafia. So you're in favor of the embargo. I am in favor of the embargo. The government, yeah. Because yeah. right now, right now, the embargo is just a face. I'm telling. I, I wanted to tell you about the embargo. You know what they're looking at? They're looking for the credit. The only thing they don't have now, if is the credit. Um, they. Yeah, credit. Mm-hmm. International credits okay. to take credits from U.S. Last year and this year, the number one principal negotiated and and business in the with Cuba was United States. They can buy meat, they can buy food, they can buy medicine. The embargo is not. Uh, blocking them to buy things, but they have to pay cash. And this is what they don't want. Because the Castro's family is always taking money. They owe money to Russia. They owe money to China. They owe money oh, to the Europe. But the U.S. is like cash. 
U.S. is cash. cash. That's uh-huh. the part of the what they what they don't like on the embargo because mm-hmm. they are they doing they really doing business. People in Cuba right now is only eating chicken, and the chicken that they eat is by in United States. Hmm. There's and, so much I don't know about all this, but um, gosh, I'd love to see this. I think the, the conversation yeah. is taking you to a lot a of different places. Place. Yeah, a different place. I just, it's sad to hear about others, pe- you know, people that are held down by this regime. I'm just so happy that your family it's a, made it. It's 12 millions of people mm-hmm. hostage. Yeah. By this family with this ideology. See, the embargo says if if you freedoms all the political prisoners and you call for a fair and open elections with different parties, their embargo finishes. You know, they mm. forgive all the things that they took from U.S. citizens' business. Mm -hmm. Because the embargo was uh, put in place because they they confiscated a a lot of U.S. business that were there. In Cuba, yeah. Not to use it for the people, like they say. They've been using it for their own satisfactions. Mm -hmm. The family, the Castro family. Yeah. It's only one family. Was the same family that um, succeed because it was Castro's idea? The same family that succeed negotiating with Russia to put nuclear weapons in the island, pointing to U.S. And he actually wants to start shooting him. You know, there's a story of Castro was mad at Nikita Khrushchev because he wanted a shot before the U.S. shooting the nuclear missiles. Mm-hmm. It's frightening. So I would so say, yeah. I would say, I always tell everybody, I mean, you've been playing for the same person Every single president United States have because he's a mafia. He's a crazy one. He's dead already, but his brother is the same. Mm-hmm. Why Barack Obama wanted to talk to someone that wanted to shoot a nuclear weapon? He was the same person. Same family. If your neighbor shot a bullet through your window... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not talking with them much. <laughs> Twenty years later, he's gonna like. Oh, I'm different. No, no, <laughs> you're still the guy that shot through my window. <laughs> you're not different. You're the mm-hmm. same. You just need something from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let you know. Let the people talk. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to encourage people to look more about this hashtag SOS Cuba, Cuba. and. I want to also send them to your restaurant and listen to this in detail. Listen to the, send them to Havana City, but listen to what you're telling us because I don't think a lot of us really know 
everything that's going on. And I guess it can be tough to feel like we can never make a difference, but, you know. It looks like it's going global. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I want to thank you for taking time with us, Raphael. Well, thank you for letting me go away from your questions. No, no, no. This is... um, Give you some kind of a political... Yeah. Thanks that I have held in my my heart and my brain. I wanted to let this run. I wanted you to speak. So thank you. Oh, you, you're welcome. To us. You're welcome. And thank Do you have I, any other questions about restaurants or the food or things? Well, anything else we didn't get in? Your favorite dish? My favorite dish? Okay. Um, the pork. The roast pork is really, really popular. Uh-huh. Try the beef, too. But we also have the Cuban sandwich. You know, the Cuban I sandwich is online. very popular. Yeah. We sell a lot. Uh-huh. Sell a lot of Cuban sandwiches. We had the mojitos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know the story of the mojitos? You know, Captain Drake, the pirate, uh-huh. he has a medicine that he was, he used this medicine with herbs and things like that. And he raided Havana once. He brought this recipe and they mix it with the rum. And uh-huh. that's how mojitos started. What kind of herbs? Like the. Um- in, in Cuba, they call it a uh, good herb or yerba buena. Uh-huh. It's. We, we use here mint. It's yeah, the most what I thought. Yeah. yeah. It's delicious. Well, Ernest Hemingway, the writer, mm-hmm. makes it popular in the United States. He was not that popular. We had the, you know, the, the daiquiris are Cubans too. But the daiquiri was brought by a, uh, a I think it was an engineer or that visited part in, Havana, in in Santiago de Cuba where they have this this bar close to this and he drank it and, and brought the daiquiris. Uh-huh. And but then, the mojitos are more popular now because her and Hemingway Ernest Hemingway, yeah. Talks about it. Mm-hmm. Both the daiquiri and the mojito. But mm-hmm. mojitos are, you know, they have movies made by And I know people Hollywood. go visit his place in Cuba, right? They they actually stay, it's very close where I was living. Stay at the villa. I've heard about that. I saw his place in Key it's West. Very close, uh-huh. very close to my house where mm-hmm. Ender Hemingway was living. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, we visited when I was a child, and I visited too when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And But I, I went through a lot of times. It was close. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Well, look, Rafael Garcia, owner of Cafe Havana City, thank you so much for being with us. And I want to thank our listeners for being so loyal. You can hear Raphael's interview and, as I said before, over 260 others at discoverlafayette.net. And we couldn't do this without our sponsors. I'd like to thank Oxner, Lafayette General, Home Bank, and of course, Raider, and in particular, Jason Sikora, who mixes our tape. Thank you all for making this possible. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, this is Jan Swift. Jan Swift.